Well, good morning to all of you and all of you that can't be with us that are watching online. We extend the peace of Christ to you. My name is Shelton Woods and I'm part of the community here. It's nice to be worshiping on this second day of the year, isn't it? Uh, to be together. This, this winter and spring, Mike Kelly, our interim pastor, is going to be going through the life of, of David. David was Israel's most famous king. He's known by various titles. He's known as the shepherd king. He's known as the warrior king. He's known as the giant slaying king. But the most famous name given to David was the man that was after God's own heart. And what we're going to do this morning, by God's grace, is we're going to set the scene for David before he comes onto the stage. In the fall, we studied the story of Joseph. And you recall that Joseph went down to Egypt. Many of you might be familiar with this story. He went down to Egypt, and then his family came down to Egypt And they flourished there. They did so well that they began to make their hosts very nervous so that they were enslaved for 400 years. And then God sent Moses and told Moses, I'm going to take my people and I'm going to send them to the land that I've promised, the land full of milk and honey. And they come into modern-day Palestine, modern-day Israel. And like most civilizations... Their prosperity led to spiritual lethargy. And God sent various judges to them to to try and help them as their enemies uh, closed in on them. And then God sent a godly priest to them whose name was Samuel. This is very important because according to God, the way to worship God and to do certain sacrifices, you needed the high priest. And Samuel was a godly man. But the people came to Samuel, and they said to him, you know, all of our neighbors, they have kings. We don't have a king, and we want a king. So God directed Samuel to a clan, to a family, and then to an individual, an impressive, tall man named Saul. And Samuel finds him, and the two of them talk alone and Samuel tells Saul, you are the man. You are going to be the king of Israel. And later there's a public ceremony where Saul is anointed in front of all of Israel. And they all rally around him. And now we see here Saul has an army of 3,000 men. And Samuel says to Saul, I want you to go to a particular place before you go and fight. And I'll be there in seven days and uh, do sacrifices and then you can go and fight, which takes us to our passage this morning. Let's read it together. Saul lived for one year and then became king. That doesn't mean that Saul became king when he was one year old. It meant after that private anointing, Saul then became king. And then he had reigned for two years over Israel. Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash, in the hill country of Bethel, And a thousand were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. And Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it, said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines. And 
also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines, and the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was was still at Gilgal, and all the people following him trembled. He waited for seven days, the, the time that was appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offerings here to me, and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept the Lord, what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him about 600 men. Let us pray. God, we come before you as people in need of your spirit to open our eyes and our hearts. Uh, There are reasons that each of us are in this room or are watching online that, that we wouldn't have ever known and we will never know until we see you. Help these words that you are giving to us from your word to open our eyes and ears to the good news of Jesus Christ, through whose name we pray, amen. Today's sermon is rather simple. Actually, there's only two points to today's sermon. So if you get lost, just go back to these two points. The first, and they both, they both are answering a question. The, the first question is, why couldn't Saul wait for 15 more minutes? If he had just waited 15 more minutes, everything would have been okay. His kingdom would have been established forever with 15 minutes. Why didn't he wait? Why couldn't he wait? And second of all, why was God so mad? I mean, what is 15 minutes? Why did God say, because you've done this, I'm done with you. I'm going to go find somebody else. Those are the two questions we are going to answer. The first one is about waiting, in particular Saul's failure to wait. I've heard a lot of people say, I hate to wait. I've never heard anyone say, I love waiting. (laughs) I love waiting in this uh, foyer 
Oh, I love waiting for the doctor to be ready to see me. It's certainly easier to wait now than it used to be because we all carry a computer in our pockets, right? So when we're waiting, we can scan uh, ESPN or if, if you're looking for your email or Instagram, it's, it's a lot easier to wait than it used to be. But Christians here, one of the things that we need to remember is, according to God's word, our whole life is about waiting. Paul writes to Titus, we are waiting for our change to come. There are so many parables about Jesus. If you read his biographies, if you read his gospels, there are so many stories he tells about waiting, waiting properly or waiting the wrong way using up all of our fuel when we're waiting, Uh, those who fall asleep while they're waiting, Uh, those who mismanage an estate while they're waiting for the owner to come. What are the characteristics of godly waiting? There's just a couple. Before I answer that question, let me ask you this. What are you waiting for? A lot of people, unfortunately, they start out Monday waiting for Friday, (laughs) waiting for the weekend. Some people are waiting for their retirement. Some of us are waiting for deep change to happen in our lives that we've waited for all of our lives, and and, and it doesn't seem to come. Some of us are waiting for our faith. We want to believe. We're waiting for our faith to overcome our doubts. Some of us want our fears to change to courage, for our anxiousness to change to confidence. Some of us have been waiting for a long time for our marriages to change. We've been waiting to change from our loneliness. We've been waiting for a child to return. We've been waiting for that relationship that has been broken for many years, maybe with siblings, maybe with friends, to be restored. Well, what is God looking for in godly waiting? First thing is, he's, while we are waiting, we are to remember. And Saul failed here. Not just because he ignored what had been told him, you wait here seven days, but because he was looking with his eyes instead of remembering. What have you done? Verse number 11, what have you done? And he answers, I saw. I looked and I saw. The end of this passage that we read, I bet you didn't catch this, but the author did. Saul numbered his troops and they numbered about 600. The author is telling us something there. And if you are a student of the Bible, you know what that 600 means. Not many years before this, and I guarantee you Saul knew this, things were passed through oral tradition. There was a man called Gideon. And the Midianites had come to conquer the Jews. And there were tens of thousands of them. And Gideon had a pretty big army And God said, actually, your army's too big, Gideon. 
We need to pare it down a little bit. And if you know the story, it was pared down to 300 men. Saul should have thought to himself, I've got double of what Gideon has. I wonder what God's going to do with this. If he would have remembered what God can do. Saul's freaking out because he only has 600 men. He knew that Gideon had 300 and that was enough. Now, as I say that, you're probably thinking, oh, I bet what Shelton is telling us is I need to count my blessings while I'm waiting. I need to remember all the times that God got me out of the mess that I put myself in by foolish decisions. We've all been in messes because of our foolish decisions. He wants us to remember what John Newton said. It's by grace that's brought me this far and grace that's led me home. He wants us to remember that this is just a season of hard times and this too shall pass. Life will get back and things will be really good. That type of thinking is Disney thinking. And after waiting, they all lived happily ever after. They were all healthy. They all had money. They all had love. What did Paul write when he was waiting his execution? I love 2 Timothy. This last book that Timothy wrote just before his head was taken off. What did he say? God's going to get me out of here. He's going to prosper me. I know things are going to go well for me. No, that's not what he says, not at all. He says this, I fought a good fight. I've run this race. I've finished this race. I've done what he's wanted me to do. And this is what I'm remembering that he said that there's a crown waiting for me. I remember that I wrote to a church for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. What did Peter write just weeks or months before he was crucified upside down? Read Second Peter. And you'll find that he didn't say, I know God's going to get me out of here and uh, I'm going to have a new year coming up that I can't wait. I just can't wait for God to do this. No, he doesn't say that. He said, I remember that Jesus told me I was going to die this way. And at the very end of Second Peter, he says, I'm awaiting a new heaven and a new earth. I'm waiting for the promises of God In both of these men, the thing that they remember when they're facing death is, I'm not alone. Paul says, everybody has deserted me here in Asia, every single person, but Christ stood with me. Christ is with me. He remembered the promises of Christ. The very, perhaps, first book of the Bible is the book of Job, and Job says, I will wait for my change Only do not take your hand away from me. As you promised, stay with me. And this is what we remember while we wait in dark and hard days as they face us. I've told you this before, so sorry to be redundant for those of you that heard it, but one of the great preachers of the Great Awakening in the United States, the Englishman John Wesley, when he was on his deathbed and he knew he was not going to get off of his deathbed, One of the last things he said is, best of all, 
Okay, what's next? Best of all, I'm going to get out of here. They're going to find a cure for me. No, he says, best of all, Christ is with us. That's what to remember. But Saul had forgotten. Saul thought maybe God was taking a break, which leads to the second virtue of waiting, and that is um, living with the conviction that we are completely dependent on God. Saul got into what I call, and you might relate to this if you're like me, Saul got into the fix-it mode. I'm going to fix this. i got to figure this out. No way I can wait. I've got to figure it out. I wonder if anybody was brave enough to say, hey, didn't Samuel say to wait? Um, he might have said, yeah, but I'm, I've got an analytical mind. I've read a lot of books. I can figure this out. You know, surprisingly, this can be a danger in our branch of the Christian church. We read, we study, we debate the finer points of Christian doctrine. We have the sense that we can figure everything out. We know how to please God. Our poor Ethiopian brothers and sisters who are worshiping today, they haven't figured it out yet. Um, we'll have to send them the institutes uh, of Calvin. The, w- w- There's a very important episode in the life of the disciples that I think we overlook sometimes. It's one of the last commands that Jesus gave to his disciples when he was here on earth. It wasn't the Great Commission, go make disciples. No, it was this. I want you to go and read Acts chapter 1, verse 4. I want you to go and wait. That's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait. And after three years of Peter being in fix-it mode, (laughs) he understood, you know what? I better go and wait because I don't run this universe. Because I tried before to fix things. You might know the story. Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed there. And Peter says, oh no, no you're not. I'm going to fix this. The tsunami of God's eternal decree this one man is going to stand against that decree and then they came to get they come to get jesus and he says no that's not going to happen i'll fix this i'll get out a sword but he had learned peter had learned that god runs the universe he might have been very afraid to be in jerusalem while they were looking for him or he might have wanted to be excited and to tell everybody about the resurrection of jesus but he went and he waited. And then quickly, um, proper waiting is active waiting. Psalm 130 verse 6 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. David writes, wait for the Lord, be strong. Let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. It's not just sitting around. It's waiting with hope in his word. Let your soul take courage. What could Saul have done? This is what Saul could have done. He could have brought his troops together and he could have said, let me tell you what Christ, what God has done. Let me tell you, take courage. Don't be afraid of these Philistines. Are we waiting based on God's word? I'm very hesitant to say what I'm about to say because it may be taken wrong, but... 
May the Holy Spirit help us here. I can't think of anything that will change your life more than being in God's Word. There is an app, and it's called Bible Memory. There are 96 15-minute segments in a day, 96 of them. If you would take 15 minutes each day to use this app to start to memorize God's Word and let it go into your soul and into your heart, it's transformative. Start with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Go to the Sermon on the Mount. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing that Shakespeare wrote like that. There's nothing that Tolstoy or Tolkien wrote like that. The psalmist says, it's while I am waiting, it's in his word that I hope. The reason I'm hesitant to say that is because the Pharisees had memorized scripture. They memorized more scripture than anybody in this room has memorized scripture. They knew it backward and forward. So just memorizing God's word is not an answer, but if our hearts realize that, God, you are running this universe and you've given me your word, your word have I hid in my heart so that I wouldn't sin against you. How can a young man cleanse his way? By following the word of God. It seems at the end of the year, I don't know if you noticed this, but there's oftentimes a lot of stars, uh, famous people that, that die. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, Betty White uh, died uh, this, this week. Um, but one person that some of you may know, his name is John Madden. And he was a, quite a character. He was a football coach, and then he was a commentator. Do, do you guys know who John Madden is? He's quite, quite a guy. At any rate, uh, John Madden was inducted into the Football Hall of Fame in the year 2006. And you should watch his long acceptance speech. He's, if you know John Madden, he's a big guy and he's waving his hands. But he ended by saying this. I was lucky enough to be carried off the field after we won Super Bowl XI. I was told it took like five or six guys to lift me up. And then, boom, they dropped me. But it was the happiest moment of my life. Today feels like the second time in my life that I'm being carried off on the shoulders of others. Yet instead of off the field, it's into the Hall of Fame Instead of five or six guys today, I ride on the shoulders of hundreds of friends, coaches, players, colleagues, and families. As we walk in our Christian life, we have God's word to carry us through these times of waiting. And then, more quickly, my second point. A casual reading of this, and I've had this question before, why in the world was God so angry? 
Is that the way God is? Is that the way my God is? Is he picky? Unforgiving? Merciless? Saul makes one mistake and it's like, boom, it's over. Is that the way you are, God? Just because he didn't wait for extra 15 minutes? He'd already waited seven days. But you need to know the backstory here. Let's tell you a couple of things. Remember when Samuel went to Saul and said, you're the, you're the man? And he actually anointed him with a little bit of oil. This was a private conversation. When people ask Saul, what did Samuel have to say to you? He said, ah, oh, really nothing. He really, didn't, he really didn't have anything to say to me. And then... You can read the story. When it came time for him to be publicly anointed in front of all of Israel, he was hiding where the baggage was. Where's where's Saul? He was hiding. Because Saul's heart never was convinced that God would take care of him. He never was convinced of that. And do you notice what the men are doing in this passage? They're doing a Saul. They're hiding in caves, aren't they? They're they're hiding wherever they can hide from the Philistines. Don't fall into the trap of thinking, if I don't do every single thing right, and this can happen in our branch of the church Uh, then God is through with us. If the Sermon on the Mount teaches us anything, it is this, and this is the title of the sermon. God wanted Saul's heart, and Saul never gave God his heart. He never said, I will trust you. Only Christ can change your heart and my heart. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, here's something that all of us should hear, that if all of us had prophetic powers and if we understood all mysteries and if we had all knowledge and if we had all faith so that we could remove mountains And if we don't have love, if Christ has not come into our heart and made us people of love, we, Paul says, we are nothing. And go to Matthew chapter 24 at the end of time when Christ looks at humanity. Who are the people that he says, come in and join with me? You'll find at least in Matthew 24, it wasn't those that had their theology all right. It was those whose heart had been changed, so they wanted to go and they wanted to visit the disenfranchised. They wanted to visit and give to the poor. They wanted to go to the prisoners and help them. They wanted to go to those of different ethnic groups and serve them. They wanted to go to those who spoke evil about them and pray for them. Saul, from the very outset, had his heart set on himself and he began by not trusting, by not having his heart changed. And God said, I'm going to find a man, and he's going to come on the stage, we're going to see here, 
I'm going to find a man whose heart is like mine, who wants to love me with all of his heart. But there was another man, a man a thousand years later, who trusted his father. He was actually called the son of David. And when he was in the garden, and they were going to come and take him and put him on a tree, he asked his father, is there any other way? He didn't go and hide. He went to a pretty public place, but he asked his father, I've been waiting. Is there any other way for me to go? And when they came to take him away, he didn't hide then, but he went to a cross. If you're a Christian here, I want you to take courage that while we wait, while we're making our way through this life, Christ, who did not hide, but went to the cross and rose again, he is with us. He asks us to have a new heart, which only he can give. And if you don't know him, won't you start learning about who this man is, who promises forgiveness and gives meaning to all of our waiting that we do. Let's pray.